Welcome to Music History Monday for August 30th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Oh, Behave. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. Every now and again, circumstances force us to plumb the tawdry here in Music History Monday. Usually those circumstances are a dearth of good topics to write about. Today is such a day. Now, in fact, there is an excellent August 30th associated topic we could have focused on. The completion of Shostakovich's extremely controversial Symphony No. 9 of 1945. But, alas, I wrote about Shostakovich's death just three weeks ago on August 9th, and as this feature is called Music History Monday and not Music History Shostakovich, we'll have to take a pass on the Shosti 9 for now. My typical fallback on such otherwise event-challenged dates is to find some date-related craziness in the world of popular music and then extrapolate outwards, discussing other like examples that are not date-related. However, we needn't do that for August 30th because enough crazy pop world merd happened on this date to easily fill a post. So here we go. Actually, for just a moment, here we not go. You might rightly ask, why are we celebrating, and by doing so, perhaps even in some way encouraging, the antics of pop stars? For an answer, you will need look no further than the troubled mind of your insecure and envious Dr. Bob. While great wealth and fame have indeed eluded me, actually, you can keep the fame, though I will take the wealth. Wealth and fame have not, for example, eluded Kanye West, born 1977, also known as Yeezy, Yi, Saint Pablo, the Louis Vuitton Don, and Jesus, who will be discussed in today's post. But thank heavens, Mr. West, his tremendous talent notwithstanding, is a first-order jerk, incapable of going very long without doing something monumentally offensive. How wonderful, then, to be able to celebrate his foibles and thus assuage my fragile ego by acknowledging my moral and ethical superiority. Now, here we go. When quaaludes are your very best friends. On August 30th, 1975, 46 years ago today, the English blues-slash-rock guitarist Paul Kossoff overdosed in London on Mandrax, an addictive central nervous system depressant sold in the United States under the brand name of Quaalude. He was rushed to the emergency room at North London's Northwick Park Hospital, where he slipped into a coma. His heart stopped, 
and he was, according to the literature, technically dead for 35 minutes before being revived. No, we don't know whether during those 35 minutes he walked towards the light, or met up with his great aunt Thelma, or chatted with his hero, Jimi Hendrix. What we do know is that, incredibly, he was brought back to life. Rossoff was best known as the lead man for the band Free, and is ranked 51st in Rolling Stone's list of the 100 greatest guitarists of all time. You know, I've always been curious about how the makers of such lists can distinguish, for example, between numbers 50, 51, and 52. His success aside, Rossoff's life and career as a rocker was depressingly familiar. He took up the guitar at the age of eight. He was kicked out of high school at 15 and went on the road. By the time he was 20, his addiction to mandrax, to quaaludes, was such that he was taking up to 20 pills per day. Rossoff's reprieve from death was, sadly, but temporary. Back on tour with the group Backstreet Crawler, just seven months later, he took a red-eye flight from Los Angeles to New York. On arriving at JFK Airport, his bandmates looked around and asked, Where is Paul? A flight attendant found him slumped over dead in a lavatory, sitting on the toilet, anticipating Elvis Presley's location and posture of death by over a year. It was March 19, 1976, and Rossoff was just 25 years old. Marrying into the Borgia family. Let's talk good advice. It is probably wise not to go into business with your brother-in-law. It is even wiser not to go into business with your former brother-in-law. William Martin Billy Joel, born 1949, should have heeded that advice. On August 30, 1989, 32 years ago today, Billy Joel fired his manager and former brother-in-law, Frank Weber, after an audit of his, Joel's, business revealed substantial financial discrepancies. Four weeks later, on September 25, 1989, Joel filed a $90 million lawsuit against Weber, $30 million in compensatory damages and $60 million in punitive damages, accusing his former brother-in-law of fraud, breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty, and federal racketeering statute violations. Ha <laughs> something rather more than a family squabble. Billy Joel and Weber's sister, Elizabeth Ann Weber, had been married in 1973. Soon after their marriage, Elizabeth became Billy Joel's business and financial manager. In 1979, Elizabeth hired her brother Frank to work in the Joel family business. Billy Joel had serious misgivings about the hiring, but his wife, who was known in the business as the shark, pooh-poohed his concerns. Well, in 1982, Billy Joel and the shark were divorced. Frank Weber sided with Joel in the divorce and was rewarded for his loyalty with a promotion. 
he took his sister's job as Billy Joel's manager. Well, it was, for Billy Joel, a serious mistake. Over the next six years, Frank Weber siphoned off some $30 million worth of Joel's earnings. When Joel discovered this, Weber was fired and then sued. Weber sidestepped the suit by declaring bankruptcy in 1990. He and Joel settled out of court. Years later, Billy Joel told his biographer, Fred Schruers, that, apropos of his ex-wife and brother-in-law, quote, I hooked up with the Borgias. What a family to pick, unquote. An entirely new form of self-expression. What is it about rock and rollers and airplanes? On August 30th, 1989, 32 years ago today, yes, the same day that Billy Joel was firing Frank Weber, Izzy Stradlin, born Jeffrey Dean Isbell in 1962, the rhythm guitar player for Guns N' Roses, was arrested in Phoenix for, quote, interfering with the duties of the plane's crew, unquote, on U.S. Air Flight 350, which was en route from Indianapolis to Los Angeles. Maestro Stratlin had urinated on the galley floor, verbally abused a female flight attendant, and had smoked in the non-smoking section of the plane, a bad airplane behavior trifecta that compares well to the sort of airplane hooliganism we're seeing all too often today. It was up to a publicist for Geffen Records named Bryn Bridenthal to do damage control. According to Bridenthal, Stradlin was having, quote, a bad day, unquote, said Bridenthal. Quote, he'd been bitten in the face by a dog in Indianapolis and was still a bit shocked by that. And when he got on the plane, he was bumped from first class into coach. It was just sort of one bad thing piling up on another, unquote. Yes, pile up those bad things did. According to FBI agent R. Scott Rivas, Stradlin, quote, went to use one of the restrooms. When he got to the restroom, it was apparently occupied, and he stated, I'm not waiting any fucking longer, and unzipped his pants and urinated in the galley area. Unquote. This, in full view of several passengers and a flight attendant. Again, according to Bryn Bridenthal, quote, Stradlin relieving himself in the galley was just his way of expressing himself, unquote. It does give the phrase pissed off a whole new meaning. Rock concerts as a contact sport. On August 30th, 1992, 29 years ago today, Nicky Wire born Nicholas Allen Jones in 1969, the bass player for the Welsh alternative rock band Manic Street Preacher, smashed his electric guitar on stage during a performance at the Reading Festival in England. Not content with having destroyed his instrument, he threw the broken bass into the audience where it hit a security guard. The guard required 16 stitches to close his wound. 
Lovely. We take it. The guard was present, in theory, to protect the band from the audience. Instead, he should have been protecting the audience and himself from the band. When making it rain goes wrong. On August 30th, 2007, 14 years ago today, the rapper Lil Wayne, born Dwayne Michael Carter Jr. in 1982, was sued for $1 million by a young woman named Tyreek Lane. The suit was filed in the Circuit Court of Baltimore, Maryland, where Ms. Lane was a student at Morgan State University. Lil Wayne had concertized at Morgan State the previous year, in October 2006. It was there that Lane, then a 17-year-old freshman, was trampled when someone, either Lil Wayne himself or a member or members of his entourage, threw a large sum of money into the crowd during the performance, a deed known as making it rain. In her suit, Lane alleged that she was crushed by the frenzied crowd, lost consciousness, and suffered a, quote, serious closed head injury, unquote, that required hospitalization. She also claimed to have suffered from memory loss, difficulty concentrating, and frequent and severe headaches. The cynic might suggest that all of these symptoms could, could, have been induced by Lil Wayne's performance, and that the damage from the trampling was incidental. Make America rap again. On this day in 2015, six years ago today, the billionaire rapper Kanye West announced at the MTV Video Music Awards his intention to run for President of the United States in 2020. And run he did, garnering 66,000 641 votes in the 12 states that allowed him to appear on their ballot. West raised a total of $14,538,989.74 for his presidential run. Now, admittedly, $12,473,000 of that $14.5 million was his own money. But still, still, he did manage to raise $2 million $64,715.66 from individual contributions. Overall, he spent $13,210,000 on his campaign, leaving him with a surplus of $1,329,000, chump change for a person of his wealth. Kanye West's platform, his stances on the issues, were, well, Inconsistent. In May of 2018, West stated that his presidential run would be a mix between, quote, the Trump campaign and maybe the Bernie Sanders principles, unquote. Frankly, we're not quite sure which of Bernie Sanders' principles West was referring to. Certainly not Sanders' stance on guns. In July 2020, West stated that, quote, Foreign countries would enslave Americans if guns were taken away, unquote. Neither did candidate West see eye to eye with Bernie Sanders when it came to prayer in the public schools. 
West said that his first act as president would be to restore prayer in the public schools and claimed that it was the devil, him or herself, that caused prayer to be removed from the schools, thus increasing the suicide rate among children and the murder rate in Chicago. In July 2020, West called for the United States to return to a pre-industrial agrarian society and economy. He didn't mention returning to the gold standard, but given his propensity for outrageous bling, he might have if he knew what it was. In what must be considered a rather confused stance, West stated that, quote, Planned parenthoods have been placed inside cities by white supremacists to do the devil's work, unquote. Nevertheless, he also stated that abortion should be legal. However, he has also proposed that every woman who chooses not to abort a child receive, quote, one million dollars or something in that range, unquote, as a reward for giving birth. This sounds very good to me, providing it is instated retroactively. Kanye West has been particularly helpful when it comes to the pandemic, claiming that vaccines are, quote, the mark of the beast, unquote. He asserts that vaccinated children will become paralyzed and that, quote, humans that have the devil inside them, unquote, are injecting microchips into people in order to prevent them from entering heaven. As I said, helpful. The list of people that endorsed Kanye West's candidacy for president is, um, impressive. Those good and discerning people include the actress Pamela Anderson, the rappers DaBaby, Chance the Rapper, Ty Dolla Sign, and Two Chains, who, by the way, later switched his endorsement to Joe Biden. Thank God. Other endorsements came from the Kardashian clan, Chloe, Kim, and Courtney, from Dennis Rodman, and, wait for them, Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk. We cut to the chase and ask the question, was it all just a publicity stunt, a scam to sell recordings and official Kanye West merchandise? Before doing my research for this post, I would have said absolutely, positively, for sure. But having done my research, I no longer believe Kanye West's candidacy was a stunt. It might have begun as a stunt, but with Donald Trump as his role model, I'm now convinced that West came to believe he could and should be President of the United States. Crazy. For our information, we've not seen the last of candidate Kanye, who has already announced his candidacy for 2024. He's been bitten by the presidential bug, and he wants it, my precious. When he cast his vote in 2020, West admitted that he had never before voted in a presidential election. He tweeted, quote, God is so good. Today I am voting 
for the first time in my life for President of the United States. And it's for someone I truly trust. Me. Unquote. Earth to Kanye West. Oh, behave. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.